With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast, episode 30, Tammy's Hattie. I'm joined, as always, by Jack Davies. How are we doing, fella? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. Yourself? I'm good, mate. We won a game of football, which is always nice. And we've got a very special pod for you guys today. We've not only got one guest, not two guests, but we have got three guests, three of a few of my favourite people on Twitter. Starting off with Andrew. What up, what up, what up, brother? Nick, always a pleasure, man. Yeah, um, I... Uh... Always, always fun to come on the podcast, and uh, it's nice to be joined by an, an American contingent. Um, I know Travis is usually a little bit more technically proficient um, than I am, so uh, it'll it'll be fun to sit comfortably in the middle between uh, between Mike and Travis and myself. <laughs> yep. Speaking of Travis, we've got Travis making his first appearance on the podcast. How are we doing, man? Doing well, Nick, and thanks for having me on. It was a pretty good win today overall, but, you know, it is still Luton. But, yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it is good to see some of the fellow Americans on here, and uh, hopefully this is a great episode. It should be. It should be. And also making his debut on podcast, it is Mike. How are we doing, fella? Doing great, man. I'm not bad. I'm not bad. Right. Before we get going, as always, with guests, I get them to plug their socials. and. You know, with it being a quarantine, it seems like podcasts are also still on the rise. We've got two new podcasts for you guys to check out. Firstly, I'll get I'll start with Andrew. Andrew, you have started a podcast now. What is it called and what can people expect? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. Um, the podcast is called uh, The Star Spangled Banter. Um, it's between Kamal, Lump of CFC, and uh, Scott, American Hooligans, uh, and myself. So... 
yeah, we, we spent a lot of time on the front end just trying to uh, figure out philosophically what we wanted to do with it. And so we're hoping to strike a little bit of a balance between Chelsea content and then general purpose, um, you know, dumb menial conversations. So we really wanted to make it an extension of, uh, of what the timeline is like by that logic. So we're hoping to instigate a lot of dumb menial conversations with you guys and uh you know triage some dumb menial questions as well uh so yeah we're really looking forward to it and you should not follow me at carefree chorizo um on twitter.com it is a mexican marinated pork if you have any questions about what chorizo is (laughs) right good introduction and also travis has got a podcast travis what is your pod called and what is it about yeah, so I started the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast, and you can find us at Balanced Blues Pod um, on Twitter. And I started that along with RJ, uh, who's been on your pod, that Chelsea pod, quite a few times. Um, or you can find him at RJ underscore good things. And then I also have uh, Travis Tyler and Ola, um, who are joining me from Pride of London in this podcast. And kind of our goal was to build a a very balanced, you know, non-reactionary, uh, just kind of, we didn't want to go with uh, just all representing the same fan site and getting a lot of the same, you know, opinions because there is sort of a, a lot of similarity between fan sites at times or within fan sites, but amongst them, there's a lot of differences. So we kind of went with that approach and uh, Kamal is trying to get involved with us, but it's just very difficult because we're we're trying to record between Australia, Nigeria, and, and America, and with his, his, his family situation makes it tough. So he is another member of the pod, but just hasn't been able to find a good time to record yet. Um, and yeah, we just kind of try to bring a more um, uh, balanced, nuanced, you know, subtle discussions to, to the table as opposed to just kind of, you know, reactionary screaming and yelling stuff that you see a lot with these pods and streams. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what we're about. You can find me on Twitter at crossroads underscore CFC. Nice one. And as fate, Mike is here, and you will occasionally hear him on the Worldwide Chelsea Pod as well. Right. We got to start on Tuesday. We lost two 0 to Leicester City. Jack, it was pretty shit, wasn't it? Yeah, the less said about that, the better. To be honest. Um, yeah, shocking. Just. Schoolboy errors for both the goals. Terrible defending. Um, you can say things quite going our way. Like I know it wasn't a penalty, but it was that close. Then they go and score two minutes later. Just not quite drop enough dropping for us, but it wasn't good enough. Um, and it was an absolute pain to watch as a Chelsea fan. Yeah, I'll just kind of sweep round all you guys for quick thoughts. Andrew, thoughts on Leicester? Yeah, it's nothing that it's like what Jack said. It's nothing that we haven't hashed out um, in conversations on Twitter. And um, yeah, there. I think that the the speculation around Frank almost detracts from how despondent of a performance that was from us. So, yeah, uh, echo Jack's sentiment on that front. Fair enough, Travis. Just how bad was that Leicester performance compared to recent performances? I mean, yeah, it was probably one of the worst. It was, I mean, I don't know if it was as bad as City was because City made us look like we didn't belong on the pitch over a 20-minute span. I don't know if Leicester really did that, but, you know, we had a really bright first 10, 15 minutes. It looked like we were going to be the ones to 
have the attacking impetus and bring it to Leicester. And then it all fell apart so badly. It was, it was just a terrible performance. I mean, and I'm sure you've seen all of like the, uh, the images of the formations is facing from Twitter, but yeah, it just seemed really little to know, little to know formations. And you know, if they were playing a tactic, it, it wasn't a very good one. Um, yeah, it was just a, it was a pretty low point for me. It was tough. Um, kind of had my mood down all week and I was just kind of on, you know, walking on eggshells waiting for, uh, that inevitable notification from ESPN that, uh, club statement, Chelsea football club. So very happy that didn't happen. Maybe is a sign of things that are changing and, you know, giving managers a little more time now, or, uh, potentially it might just be kind of the same situation with Conte and sorry, where we knew the end was was already coming before it was there. But, you know, performance bad. I don't really feel like anybody played that great except for Mindy. You know, he had a couple good one-on-one stops. And overall, I mean, I didn't think he was at fault for those two goals. Um, Yeah, just not a good performance. Fair enough. Mike, any idea what's what's going so wrong at Chelsea at the moment? I mean, there's a combination of several things. I I think for me, it's it's always the – you know, everything that we've talked about uh, um, and has been mentioned, the low, you know, low morale, no energy on the pitch. Um, Travis, absolutely. Mindy was a good bright spot. Uh, Mount played his ass off. You know, I, I don't think that there's any question about that man's heart. Um, hopefully we can get into Mason Mount a little bit more in this episode, but uh but yeah, I think overall, man, it's just, you know, there's a combination of bad luck, little to no morale, energy. Um, but it's also the the good the, I guess the the good news about that is I don't think we can play any poorly. Uh I or, uh, any poorer for that matter. I think it's um I think we could see, um I'm optimistic at least I should say, that we should see a, a better performance and a string of performances here now that we're playing some teams that are not in the top five, top six, for that matter. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I guess don't want to spend too much longer unless Bobby, the midfield we sort of alluded to, was a big issue. Travis, I mean, I guess always going to be issues when you've got a midfield of Kovacic, Mount and Havertz. Yeah, I think that, you know, maybe that midfield could work. It was more of like a sorry system, but that's that's the past and we don't live in that anymore. Um, I think that as we've seen a number of times, both this season and some of last season, when we run the Jovisic double pivot, it, it just isn't very effective. I don't know how else to put it. Um, you know, each individual player can be a really uh, effective and, and provide a lot to the team on their day in the right system. But in a four-two-three-one, I, I don't think we need to see a whole lot more of Jovisic and Jorginho in that in that role, um, and, and even Jorginho together. Or, I mean, with other players, is sort of a a liability defensively um, in, in that lone DM role, even if we ship to a 4-3-3 with Kovacic and Mount, because it becomes very, very simple to play, to create overloads against Jorginho because of how much space we leave between him and those, uh, and those two center mids in front of him. So, yeah, I think every time you're, if we do go with these, this Jovacic double pivot or we go with, uh, you know, a lone DM that's not Conte, I think we're going to be, you know, having some troubles in the midfield and, that's really not anything that's new. Even last season, we saw a lot of this, especially during the restart when we were shipping a lot of goals, but still getting results because we were scoring more goals. Uh, you saw a lot of times we were just overrun on transition because of how we set up our midfield. 
Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Mike, any other positives other than Mendy on Tuesday? I thought Puli was probably one of a few along with Mason that looked like he was trying, but yeah. No, that, that's it. Um, I, can't, I can't think of anybody else besides those three players, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and it's just a matter of um, this team needs to figure out. I mean, and I, I think that's also the other piece to this thing, too, that there's a lack of identity. And I think there was a report that somebody had, um, I forget who, it, it might have been Simon Johnson that was quoting a, a different report, but I guess there was players that were, um, you know, going to the press talking about how they're not quite sure what, you know, what the team is. And Frank's constantly chopping up the, the team and putting, you know, players in and, and, and constantly rotating players. And there's no defined um, starting 11, which, to be fair, that's that's absolutely uh, an issue because um, that's a, that's something where we need to figure out what this team is going to be and what the shape of this team is going to be because um, we're already mid-season. We still don't know <clears throat> who's going to be in the back four, who's going to be in the midfield. We, I mean, obviously injuries do play a factor in those things, but barring injury, who's our starting 11? I don't think anybody could really and truly give us a – a firm answer on that bar Mindy for that matter and Mason for that matter. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I guess we'll park Leicester Vez, say both goals were pretty, yeah, just appalling defending really. Despite all that negativity, we actually won a game today. So sorry, sorry for maybe the slightly depressing start to podcast. We beat Luton 3-1 in the FA Cup. Tommy Abraham got a hat trick. Happy days. Uh, before we get on to questions, I'm going to sort of talk about three individuals uh, quick. Actually, no, I'll include four because I know Mike wants to say something on one individual in particular. Um, but firstly, Jack Mason Mount was captain. Beautiful times. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yep. Inject it. Inject it right there. Exactly. Been there since he was six or seven, I think. So that must have been a very proud day for him and his family. And fully deserve to see the leadership he's shown in that team when we've been down and out in games and we've all been playing poorly. He's the one who shows something every single time. I saw some ridiculous comments in on Facebook and Twitter earlier, like, why is he not giving it to Zuma and shit like this? It's like, fuck off, honestly. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, he 100% deserves it. And again, he was good. But good, good again, never lets us down. Uh, and that's why he's been our best player this season, hands down. Love that, love that energy. Andrew, Mason Mountain is captain. Beautiful, beautiful stuff, wasn't it? And, you know, another solid game from him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how can you, how can you fault what Mason Mount has contributed both this season and, and last season? You know, people, people that reduce uh, his contributions – uh, talk about statistics being inflated. Like it, it's just such an unproductive conversation. He, um, when when we look shit, is when he shines. When we look despondent and lethargic, is when he shines. The the match against Leicester, the match against Fulham. You know that was a that was a tangible result of the one person on the pitch who was both paying attention and also giving a shit about the match. So. Uh, it is absolutely deserved. Um, yeah, Jack, Facebook is a cesspool. Um, shouts for <laughs> shouts for Zuma to captain because he's a center back, and that's just lazy logic. 
Um, you know, the article was circulating about Mason um, getting the band, you know, the, the blood, sweat and tears article recently. Uh, you know what? Like, I don't know if that's something that you can implement instantaneously. Like he's, he's a young kid. He's still forming habits, but boy, like the habits that I see and, uh, and, and kind of the level that he just by proxy of being adjacent to other players, um, he, he raises that tempo and he raises the effort. Um, super happy to see him get captaincy today. And, uh, uh, I would not be surprised to see that happen much more frequently in the future. Yeah, uh, Travis, obviously, you know, there's no Thiago Silva or uh, Cesar Azpilicueta today. Mason Mount, you know, future captain and also a well, well-deserved well choice for captain. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at the starting 11 and I, when I saw that he was captaining the side, I looked at everybody else in there and I I don't think you're going to be giving it to Kepa. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you're going to be giving it to Christensen. Um, you know, I think Reese doesn't really, uh, to me, he doesn't strike. I know he's young and, you know, he has to, doesn't really strike me as that leader profile right now. So, I, yeah, I don't really think there's a better um, shout than, than Mason. The only other one would be Tammy, but that's sort of an awkward fit. And it would be basically more giving him the captaincy upon results and not really the, the intangibles that go along with being a captain. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's great for Mason. And I, what I find most uh, impressive about Mason is it, it's just – Overall, hard work. Um, and I know, like, you know, you might get dragged on Twitter for talking about, like, passion and desire and these uh, these adjectives that get thrown around that don't that people claim don't mean anything. But there is something to it. And it's, you know, I think it was Yo- uh, Johan Cruyff who said that, like, you know, 95% of the game you won't be touching the ball. So it's what you do off the ball is significantly more important than what you do on the ball. And I think Mason embodies that very well. Um, you know, I think he's always pressuring. He's always getting involved. And, you know, I look back to the West Brom match in the beginning of the season. Um, you know, that was terrible, let's be honest. And, and before Espelicueta was on, uh, you know, he went on and brought a little more nuance back uh, in leadership. But Mason uh, was really the engine that drove that forward, that, that, uh, that comeback draw. So, and I think it's so impressive that you see a guy to have that influence from the position he does, the age he does, and the experience he has or lack thereof compared to other, you know, players that are so influential uh, for their squads. You know, so I, I'm not trying to compare him here, but you see like, uh, you see like on Man City, you see like De Bruyne plays like all of the passes and just does all of the work within that system, it seems like. And it seems like Mason does a lot of the work and is really kind of the engine within our system. And that's how it's set up. So I think he is, and the fact that he's an academy grad makes a little more personally special now I mean the only thing I would say is I thought that Asfalqueta should have started today but um you know without him in the lineup yeah I think Mason looks like a look like a you know a good future captain for us if that's the route we fair enough um a second player I want to focus on I'll start you is Mike Kepper man first shot on target he faces day and it ends up in the back of the net those weak wrists <laughs> <laughs> is, is that what we're left with now? Um, I mean, what... <laughs> Go on, I'm sorry. No, no, I just got sports, sports or Kepa today. Hey, man, I, you know what? Yes, that, that's, that shouldn't have happened. Um, Zuma's got to do a better job, though, of, of getting in there. I think if Rudiger is playing in that, in that, in that spot, that shot's blocked. 
Um, that shot doesn't even see Keppa for that matter. I mean, and I'm just, and I, and I know it's, we've, I'm operating with the benefit of hindsight here. Um, and there's some big ifs with that too. I mean, it's not like Rudiger has, has been this, you know, model of consistent play and defensive player, um, at least from the the time that I've been watching him for the past couple of years, but uh, this season he's been fine. Um, so I understand getting Zuma some time here in the FA cup, but yeah, I think if he does a better job of not <clears throat> jumping out of the way and actually getting in there and, and trying to block that shot, doesn't, doesn't see Keppa. Furthermore, Keppa did a fantastic job on the other two shots as well. Um, so I don't want to, sit here and, and bash this guy and, and things like that. But that's something you've got to, you've got to stop that one. Like, how does this happen? Like you did, you did everything right on the other two shots, but this one here in particular, you put pressure on everybody now. And, and yeah, I, I don't think anybody felt pretty good about that when we're up to one and you got the likes of Christensen back there who could easily have done what Christensen has been known to do lose his man fall down not get up and the game's tied um so yeah I, I look at this and i go man um he it was it was a pretty standard kepa game he conceded an easy one he actually did a really good job on a couple other shots good on him i mean at some point at least he tried <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I think it says that's the response. So is it all? Oh, I'll just be really quick on this one. Uh, Travis Kepper, why does he still even play in the cups, man? I know he made an important save at 2 1, but. Yeah, so I think the reason he plays is comes down to probably politics and finances. Um, you want to keep this guy somewhat happy and give him some chances to keep his ego and confidence high enough that he might still be able to get a Euro spot. Because it doesn't look like anyone's really taken a bite on a loan option or by outright this uh, winter window. So I think that's some of the politics behind it. But also, the more you play him, the uh, maybe his ego responds, his confidence responds, and his performances respond in these cup matches. And therefore, he increases his value whenever we move him on in the summer. So I think that this is more of this isn't really a uh, picking the best 11 as much as it is look, this guy still has something to fight for for his, for his country uh, very soon with the Euros um, approaching. And he also, you know, still has a, a resale value for Chelsea to achieve. And if we keep him in the bench and we exile him and never give him any opportunity, then the only thing that a potential buyer is going to remember is, you know, last season where he conceded 13 more goals than expected. Um so I think a lot of that is probably what it comes down to is managing his ego and trying to get his price tag back to a more manageable uh, state in terms of Chelsea's opinion so that whenever they do sell him that the loss that they're going to take on him financially is at least mitigated to some degree. Um, so I think that's part of it. But yeah, you know, credit to, like Mike said, credit to where it's due. He did make some good saves and he, you know, he did show that. It was kind of reminds me of the Europa League where he'd make some bad saves but still concede some goals. Um, but, yeah, that first goal was poor. But uh, I, I thank you, Mike, for bringing it up about Zuma because I don't think he goes unscathed or, no, I don't think he's immune from criticism for that first goal. But it still, at the end of the day, comes down to it. You're a 72-million British pound keeper. Where, Where is your – you know, what, 
you just expect more. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to bash Keppa and go into it too much, but you just expect more. And it, I understand some of these maybe are not fully his fault, but at the end of the day, world-class keepers improve their back line by mopping up those kind of mistakes, like Manuel Neuer or Jan Oblak, someone like that. So that's, that's kind of where I stand on it. He doesn't deserve all the blame for that first goal, but damn, does he deserve still, you know, pretty good share of it. So I don't want to blame it all on him, but I'm not trying to absolve him of blame either. And yeah, Nick, Nick Pope uh, stops those goals <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Nick Pope, I've got it. for anyone who doesn't know, Mike absolutely adores Nick Pope. So uh, Nick that, Pope's that's what... number one fan. Not even <laughs> yeah. Nick Pope's mom. It's Mike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Pope, <laughs> I told you, dude. We could have had if we would have bought him. It would have been the Pope of Stamford Bridge. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, before I go to Michael Christian Pusic, I'm going to go Andrew Tammy Abraham. He starts, he gets a hat trick. What more can the boy do? He take, he gets given a chance, and he takes it. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, it, it's tough because you know the outliers always stick out um, on social media in terms of sentiment, and uh, it, it was really dejecting to see people having a go at Tammy and, and kind of reducing the hat trick to a series of tap-ins when, you know, you juxtapose him against Timo Werner. And I would love for Timo Werner to be scoring a hat trick off of, you know, whatever limb he can against whatever opposition he can as well. So I'm, I'm incredibly happy for Tammy. I, I love the, uh, the statistic. I, I believe what it's the, the first Englishman to score a cup hat trick since Frank. Um, I, I think that's, that's wonderful. Um, and I think that's a, a testament to how difficult this is. Neither of the goals were, were poor either. They were, they were both, you know, relatively technically adept goals. I mean, you know, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly happy for Tammy. I, I have no idea how to cut our, our striker situation at the moment. I, I don't think that Timo should be deployed on the, on the wing. Um, I want to see Timo succeed so badly, but you, you can't argue with the striker that's in form. And, you know, I don't think it's something to be reduced just because it's cup opposition either. I would love to see that form against wolves, you know, that, that could be the difference. So incredibly happy for Tammy. Yeah. Yeah. Jack, final thoughts on Tammy boy, you done good today. Yeah, really good. I think he's, He's sort of going under the radar this season, um, especially at the start. Didn't play as many games as he probably would have liked because of the new signings and then Giroud on form. But I think I saw he's the first Chelsea youth team product to score ten ten or more goals in a season in a season for two se- for two consecutive seasons since someone in, in nineteen eighty two. So. Yeah, I mean, you've got, and he's still only 23. You've got to give him that um, that slack there. I know it's against smaller team there today, but yeah, I just honestly just think he goes under the radar and he gets a lot of stick from people when he's when he's pulling numbers up this year. It's, I think he's got 19 goal contributions now, and if you ask me, that warrants starts over other strikers that aren't performing. Yeah, and that's to be fair as well. I think that's why we might. We might see that four four two deployed again as well. Fair enough. We have got a question about Saul Johns for that later. Yeah, I think and the thing that impressed me there is something is link up play as well. There were a couple I remember there's a moment he just fizzed the ball out wide to Callum when he was on. Mm-hmm. 
some of his yeah. distribution as well. I think people just, you know, Tammy sometimes gets dubbed as Bambi on ice and, you know, just gets viewed as, oh, he's only in the box as a poacher. <laughs> There's so much more to his game than that. And he is, it pains me how disrespected he is by our fan base, particularly online. When, when he gets given a chance, he rarely lets us down. So now I'm happy for Tammy. He did his job today. And, you know, he, that third got the end, eases any nerves. And it was a, you know, a good, good day yeah. for Chelsea. We're going to get questions. Our first one comes in from Conark, and I'll give this one to you, Travis Dov. Should we stick to the 4 4 2 in the Premier League, or is it going to open us up when teams create an overload against us in central midfield? Uh, uh, that's tough. Um, you know, we haven't really seen a two striker set as the preferred option uh, under Frank. It's typically been the 4 2 3 1, 4 3 3, or a 3 4 3 adaption. Um, so I would be surprised if you see a. Uh, if you see a two striker formation being predominantly used going forward, but I think that to kind of go off what Jack was saying there about, you know, what we saw today might give us a little suggestion that the four, four, two could be used. I think that it's going to be potentially a good option for wolves as they, I know they don't really play a back three as much. Now they've kind of have moved to a back four. If I'm not mistaken, I don't watch a whole lot of wolves matches though. Um, so, you know, I could see that the, the the problem that we had against Wolves, I thought, in the first match was that, you know, although he get that goal, he got the goal, it's only real was in the box to put those two center backs there, try to move it out wide to space out the, you know, the, the flanks, draw them off, and then cross it into Giroud and hope that he can just beat two center backs. Um, and as we saw, that tactic got us a goal, but it got us a loss, no points overall. Um, so I think that... For me, I think what you need against Wolves, you need somebody that's going to move them around more. And I think Tammy does that very well. You know, as you guys said, he has a good link-up play and he has good, uh, you know, he has good finishing overall. I know people will say that he misses big chances, but again, it's to me a ridiculous stat because go look at Robert Lewandowski, who scored, what, sixty goals last year? And he missed like 45, 50 big chances. It happens. You, If you have good positioning in the box, you're going to miss big chances. It's going to happen. I'm sorry. That's the way that statistic works. Uh, it goes both ways. But I, I think that we could use a two-striker set more, and especially against really low-block teams, you could almost see us run a 4-2-4 four, four, um, if we're really going for it. But I, the problem is that, you know, we've seen that the overloads in midfield happen very easily, um, and a lot of that is the, the, the problem is we have way too much space between the midfielders and the defensive center backs, and we have no real cover on the flanks because we use our fullbacks as essentially wingers in attacks and in this two, three, five that we play. In so uh, I, I'm really hesitant to say that we go ahead and use this four, two, four a lot. I think it would be very matchup dependent and even more so than matchup dependent. I think it's more of an in-game switch than a, you know, show your hand from the start of the kickoff that that's how I would approach this one a little more uh, regarding the two striker set. I do it more as an in-game switch as opposed to using it as a, as a starting formation. And I think that, too, if you start out with a 4-2-3-1, you can easily, with Kai at the 10, you can easily adapt that into a 4-4-2 and put him or as a second striker, in a, or shadow, uh, in a second striker center forward in like a 4-4-1-1 or something like that. Um, I think there's more flexibility used uh, in in-game management with that formation as opposed to switching that as the main formation. Um, because I think it would eventually we have we have a lot of strength in the midfield. Let's not let's not to shirk away from that and maybe minimizing that from three down to 
you know, two midfielders and given the issues we have in transition may not be the best, but I think if we're chasing games or trying to break them down, it's a good option. So sorry to go a little long on that one. Um, That's fine. I was going to say, uh, I'll give you this next one, but it's similar. It's from Tom. He asked, is Mountain Kante balanced enough to play a 4-4-2 slash 4 triple 2 against Wolves? I love the idea, but I think it does leave us open to the counters if we don't press right. Plus, they both like to press high, leaving nothing behind. But the 4-4-2 looks so much better. I think it's worth risking. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I mean, it's, it's all nice and well to sit here and say after we play you know, two forwards from the off and it really did look a lot of times like Werner was kind of playing either behind Abraham or next to him. And, and it, it even looked to me like at times it was a four, two, four, but uh, you know, I just worry about it because the, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and look at Luton town and, and overhype this and, Oh, we played two strikers look so great again. I mean, guys, it's Luton town. Like that's what we have to, we have to be measured in our responses and not get carried away and overhype as I think the fan base so commonly does. Um, so I, I'm hesitant to say that, yeah, this is going to work, so on and so forth, because the issues in midfield have always been that we get overrun and we get overloads and we can't, we can't defend in transition. And then taking those numbers down from three to two logically would suggest that we're only going to have more of those problems because I don't imagine <laughs> if we switch to a 4-2-4 that Lampard's tactics to, you know, to use the fullback so much in the attack are just going to go out the window. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good idea. That's why, again, I'll suggest it's a very good thing to have up your sleeve for an in-game management change, an in-game tactic change. But uh, I, I just don't. When, I'll just ask this: When's the last time Chelsea have played a four-two or a four-four-two or a two-striker set? Um, it it just isn't very common, and, and I, I don't want to like you know act, act seem like I'm you know pushing back against the question. Um, I, I just don't want to get carried away with what we saw today and, and start saying like, this is what we need to change the formation to because we could, because we broke down Luton town three times. We should go ahead and start playing two striker sets. I, I'm not really ready to say that. I think it's the, the formation and system will probably still remain typically like what we've seen, but I, I think maybe in game management is where you'll see a lot of these tweaks made. So uh, I'll leave it there. Let's, let's get somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll actually move that question on. Cause you gave a really good answer there. Um, Andrew, Maria asked, what did you make of the Mount and Billy Gilmore duo in midfield? Yeah, I um I really enjoy that pivot. I it it's interesting because a lot of shouts that we've seen are for a more pragmatic pivot in terms of having N'Golo paired with another dedicated uh defensive minded midfielder, um, like a like a Declan and N'Golo pivot. Um, what you get with Mount and Billy as a duo is uh, a little bit more diminutive. I know N'Golo stature-wise is also a, a, a small player, but you know, they're, they're both tacklers between him and Rice. And again, that's all speculative because Rice isn't a Chelsea player. Um, I, you know, earlier in the season when I was just, you know, 4 2 3 one we're going to get the best out of Kai Havertz this way. Uh, it suits the wingers that we have in, in playing a more narrow um, on, on their strong feet. Um, you know, I think Mike and I even talked about previously a, a Gilmore-Conte pivot. Um, I, I like Mount and Gilmore as a pivot. I think Mount's shown his aptitude to be able to play that way for England. Um, he's shown it in recent days with Chelsea as well. And Billy Gilmore, I mean, as soon as I saw the 
press conference comments that uh, were still open to loaning him out for the rest of the season. I mean, my heart dropped. So I think Billy Gilmore absolutely has a, a spot in this team. And, uh, you know, whether he's the deep-lying playmaker, um, kind of in a, in a six role in a midfield three, or a pivot um, where I think he's probably a little bit more insulated. Uh, Mason Mount and, and Billy Gilmore are two players that I absolutely adore. Um, so I would love to see them uh, in, in a pairing like that. Um, you know, whether it's Billy deep as a six and Mason as an eight or, or in a, in a double pivot, I, I, my heart would melt, uh, to, to be able to witness that at some point this season. Fair enough. Uh, Jack, we'll give this one to you. Uh, it was got by multiple people, uh, Zed and Harry Bell. Other than, uh, Tammy, of course, who do you think deserve the man of match award was the best player on the pitch? So other than Tammy, who do you think were the best players on the pitch today? Um, I think we mentioned Mason already, thought he had a good game. Billy, honestly, I thought Billy was quality. Um, he just makes it look so easy. Um, just, he's just so much better than like if we put Jorginho in there. Honestly, he's always trying to look forward and play the pass forward every single time. And what I love the most about him is just he's always trying to play one touch as well. And he just makes the triangles between playing out from the back look so easy. Um, and I know he's played in games against lesser teams, but I think when he's shown, he's shown every time that he's capable, and I think that warrants him starting starting a game. I know we said he should have started against Leicester, didn't? I I think he deserves a start soon in the Premier League and see what he can do there. Um, I was thought Callum Callum was quality when he came on again, changed the game straight in, straight in there. Uh, showing attacking attacking instincts at the back post, took shot, and then uh, Billy and him combining for that for that uh, third goal was. I mean, it was a quality team goal from being camped right in our bar court own corner flag and then going up the other end. But yeah, just his directness to take people on. We miss that when he's not playing. Um, so I thought he he had another great game. It's just with him, he just. When he gets this chance to start, he needs to take it because I know against Leicester we were all we were all poor, but he, he did nothing, and we're crying out for him to start, and he just didn't do anything the other day. So it's just one of those with him. I know we say he needs he needs more games, he needs the consistency, but he really needs to try and grab that chance when he gets given it. Fair enough, uh, Mark. Come to you on this because I know you you know you even brought it up in, in our sort of group chat earlier. Do you think Callum and Gilmore should start games in the league. Obviously, I know you sort of feel quite strong about Christian Pulisic uh, on this as well. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. Um, I will never um, be upset if one player starts over another and we get a win. Um, and I hope I'm I hope I'm wrong in in this respect because it, it, it it's it, the the team's success should always be put first. But I have to look at this from <clears throat> the the quality of the player and and the the at least from the proven um, track record since Pulisic has been on has been with Chelsea here he's he's our he's our best winger even when he's playing poorly he's still our, he's still one of our players on the pitch uh, because off the ball I think um, often goes a looked um because you know i think the one stat that everybody wants to jump at and look at is uh goals and assists and things like that of course or the two stats i should say 
Um, that being said, uh, not to take anything away from Callum today, he, he came in and he did his job. He came in and made an instant impact, um, which I think is, is fantastic. Um, but I think um, he's, I think he's more suited to be that super sub. I think for him to come onto the pitch and, and come in and, and, and inject some energy into this team uh, when the, the other, with the opposition being, you know, tired or whatever, um, I think it suits him better. Um, but I would not be upset at all um, if Callum started week one um, and Pulisic came off the bench and, and also had, had made an impact on the game as well. Um, as far as Billy goes, um, to quote our, our, our buddy Jordan, man's just here. Uh, I look at him and I go, man, he, he, he can do the job. He can do the job in, in, in so many different areas of that midfield. And, and not only can he do the job, but he, it seems to me, and it stands, and I can't figure this out, but it stands to reason that the guy can do the, to do the job in a lot of different areas pretty damn well. And sometimes we just need that nastiness in there, and I think he provides it. Um, so I'd love to see him get some more um, run time as well, whether that's coming you know, onto the pitch as a starting 11 or, or being a sub. Fair enough. Uh, Travis, I'll go to you on this because RJ asked, this is one of part two questions, given Callum's impact from the bench, was Frank justified in injecting him as a sub rather than starting him? Uh, yeah, and this is, uh, you know, RJ is a co-host with me on the Balance Blues Brother podcast, and this was something that one of our other hosts, Ola, brought up, was that uh, if you look at the numbers for Cho, when he's used as a substitute, it's significantly better than when he's used as a starting 11 player. Um, you know, his goals and assists are actually more as a substitute this season than they are as starting 11. I'm pretty sure on that statistic, if I remember our conversation right. So uh, to answer RJ's question, yeah, I think he was right to do this. And it does seem that Cho, he, it, so for me, okay, Cho's a very young player. He's had a career-threatening injury with an Achilles tear, which is, uh, I mean, and generally uh, in almost all sports after Achilles, you don't come back with the same amount of explosiveness an acceleration that you once had and your changes of direction can also be affected because your, you know, your explosiveness and, and ability to turn is reduced because of the injury. It's a really nasty injury. Um, and I think, so when you look at the larger context, you know, he was starting to go through a really good patch under sorry, got this terrible injury. Um, I think that was up against Burnley at home is when he had that. And then he, you know, it's a long way back. And I think what we're seeing now is when he comes in as a sub, I feel like he might be better as a substitute because what he's doing as a young player is I think he's watching and learning and, and kind of getting a feel for the game before he's on the field. And he is maybe learning from the bench with the 60 minutes he's on the bench. He's learning as a player and having his own self-discoveries, which is a, a huge part of getting any player to be better is making them uh, have the self-discoveries and learning moments. And, and I think that Frank's management has been very cautious and tepid with, with Callum Hudson-Odoi, but his impact as a sub is uh, starting to become lethal, uh, to put it in, in one word, as opposed to what it is as a starter. And, and I think that overall he's learning and he's getting into the game and showing that he is internalizing what he's seeing from the bench and then going out and making it happen. And I think it's just a matter of letting, letting this cycle continue 
And then I think he'll get to that point in his career where he doesn't have to sit there and see the game. He can just, you know, he can get right in and, and go with the flow and figure it out. And I think maybe that's just where Frank that, – that's my opinion of where Frank views Callum's development at right now. Fair enough. Uh, Andrew, I'll go to you on this one. Uh, look, multiple people asked if uh, RJ's question was, did Timo do enough to earn a start against Wolves? Obviously, you know, I thought we had a pretty good game apart from missing the penalty. And Dean, obviously, Dean is us. what do we do with Timo? So what thoughts on Timo today and what do we do with him going forward? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Nick. I, I do think that, um, that Timo had a, a good game against Luton. I... It's it's a precarious situation with strikers specifically because it is such a confidence role. Uh, the the penalty, while we shouldn't benchmark a performance off of that, because I, I would still say on aggregate, Timo had a a, a great match against a, a cup side. Uh, again, you know we always have to add that asterisk. Um, I don't think the question is as much about does he merit a start because his performance was fine. Uh, on a whole, he was getting into some nice areas, and you know, I, I don't know if I'd run a four-four-two against Wolves specifically. Um, I think that'd be great against more low-block opposition, but I do think that that would let Timo play a little bit better um, and emulate kind of uh, more how he was deployed at Leipzig. the The question is more: Where is Timo at mentally? Uh, is he going to be taking chances against Wolves? Um, I, I'm a proponent of going for the striker that's in form. Uh, I, if we're playing with a sole striker, I think we go with Tammy and what we do with Timo. I don't give a shit as long as he's not on the left wing again, because I just, it, it, it really is not pleasant to watch. I had hope when we played Liverpool and he got pocketed by Fabinho. I tried to keep hope, um, but the linearity of him on the wing is really disappointing. Um, when when we talked about the versatility of him and Kai over the over the summer, uh, seeing him on the wing, I, it's like yeah, let's let's give it time. You know, he's he's acclimating, and and it now becomes when when can we stop having the conversation about acclimation periods? Uh, so I. I think personally, I, I go with Tammy against Wolves, um, and what to do with Timo. I don't, I don't think that Frank's mismanaged him in terms of rotating him and bringing him off the bench in in more recent fixtures. Uh, I do think that Frank's mismanaged him in deploying him on the wing. But at the beginning of the season, I would have thought that he would have been more than proficient as a left winger in a pinch, especially with the injuries that we had. So, um, what to do with him? The, the the positive side of this is that he's still a young player. Um, and I don't think that he will be dejected by getting rotated any more than he'll be dejected by what happens in his performances on the pitch. So Tammy, Tammy for wolves in my eyes. And I, I, I hope that that's not reactionary based on a result against Luton. Fair enough. Uh, final football related questions. I'll go to you on this one, Jack. Davey asked, okay, so today was a car. But generally, do we make far too many changes week after week in the starting lineups? And then during games, do we need to make the sub sooner? I don't know what you think, but City was far too late. Leicester also. And even today, Callum could have come on earlier. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those, again, you can 
you can say that like we make too many changes, but we've been playing poorly, so you need to make changes. It's just one of those, he'll make changes, then it's not working. People say, why have you changed it? Then he won't make changes, no. Why hasn't he made changes? It, it's like that with the starting team. I do understand that, yeah, we probably have made too many changes and mixed it up too much, but I honestly think... It, honestly think it's almost that Frank's got too many players to choose from, to be honest with you. He, and he just, he still doesn't know what his best team is. Like we said it earlier, you could probably say it's Mendy and Mount that are on the team sheet straight away, Thiago Silva when he's fit. But other than that, or Chile as well, on left back. But other than that, you've probably got a second guess and just go on form. Um, and then, Substitution during games, yeah. I mean, we've had that conversation the last few weeks. Definitely made against City, made them too late. Um, and that's happened quite a lot this season. You're sitting there, we're playing poorly, and you think he's got to make a change at half-time. And we barely ever see any changes at half-time from Frank. Um, and today with Callum... Um, to be honest with you, I wouldn't say that was too late, Mike, from, uh, in my opinion, today. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say that was too late for me, but people entitled to their own opinions. He did make a big impact when he came on. Um, but yeah, overall, you'd say we do make subs too too late and not don't make a like, reaction to in-game situations quick enough. Yeah, no, I agree with that, especially when we're losing. I think with Frank, it's a common theme that he does. He always waits 15 to 20 minutes to the second half yeah. before he makes a sub. But the fact that this so often, there's very, there's basically never any change. For me, it's, 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 the, it's those games. Yeah. It's those games where we're playing so poorly, you need a change. Yeah. Waiting another 15 minutes isn't going to do anything. It needs to be changed ASAP. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Does anybody feel that we, uh, like regarding this question, that there's too many changes made week to week with the starting 11, but then not enough changes made in-game? Um, I'm trying to think of big changes. I guess for Rudiger's Zuma one, you know, it's maybe a bit odd, but again, we sort of discussed Rudy's not really done a f- wrong. I don't no. think, I think midfield is the issue. Yeah. I think midfield mm-hmm. is the issue because we went, you know, Kovacic and Jorginho is back from sort of a blue against Fulham with Kovacic and then against Leicester, Jorginho is out. You're playing Kovacic as a, you know, at the base, which he's not done. You then play Mount and Havertz. Yeah, I think in midfield is where the, the changes are an issue for me. Mm. I think up front, I don't, I don't think it's a huge issue because we've got the quality up top, out yeah. wide specifically and up front, you yeah. know, Giroud and Tammy have been in good form, but for me, it's midfield that's the biggest issue when it comes to rotating. Too many cooks in midfield, right? Yeah. Well, he's got, you know, he, he's playing because this thing, I don't think, you know, we didn't really touch on Kovacic. I thought, good cameo today. Uh, but against Leicester, I thought as a lone DM, he probably did, I don't know, as good as you could hope. He didn't yeah, really, I, mean, I, I don't think he offered protection to the back line, but I don't think he's really responsible for the two goals conceded. I thought it was interesting today that Kovacic wore the armband when he came on. Yeah. That was, again, I guess, you know, he was on pitch. Reese, yeah. I guess that was 
Corver's probably one of the more experienced players, isn't he? Out yeah. of, and that's, I guess that's saying something. So, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was interesting. But, um, yeah, unless any of you guys have anything else to add to Travis's uh, point, I'll move on to the final non fatigue question. Um, all right, then. The non fatigue <laughs> question comes in from Michele. He loves asking these questions. And I said this to the boys before. Uh, Andrew, I'll go to you first. If you had to bring home a Sasha Baron Cohen character to meet your parents as your significant other, who would you bring home and why? Oh, Jesus. It's. I love Michele as well, and uh, I appreciate the question. But uh, yeah, the last thing that I want to think about um, on a, a hungover morning is Sasha Baron Cohen's catalog of, of films right now. Um, I, I, I'm really going to give a cop-out answer on a recency bias because I'm just not going to bite on the, uh, the, the literal, like, dick windmilling of bruno and you know all of that um trial of the chicago seven on netflix a phenomenal uh film about uh protesting the vietnam war uh he was an anti-war activist in that film i think that you know short of uh coming out to my parents that probably the best way to mitigate damage was would be to um, uh, come home with an activist. And I I think fortunately my family would be more on that side of the spectrum. I'd like to think that my family would have been anti-Vietnam War. So um, yeah, cop out answer. I'm not gonna give, uh, I'm not gonna say dictator. I'm not gonna say Bruno. I'm not gonna say Borat. Um, Trial of the Chicago 7 uh, would be my film. And yeah, I I think my parents would be cool with it, hopefully. Yeah, Andrew would bring home Abby Hoffman. There you go, <laughs> Michele. There's your answer. Um, there you are. Travis? I mean, I kind of expect this from Michele at this point, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like Andrew, like, yeah, not going to say Bruno, not going to say dictator, but, you know, I might go with Borat because I could, like, uh, you know, probably just pass it off as, like, a green card marriage that it's not real. It's just, uh, it's just to help this guy out and get him to learn and like get him a, you know, get him immigration status here in the States um, and get him out of Kazakhstan. Uh, is it what number one potassium producer or whatever they say in Borat? <laughs> so that's probably what I would say, you know, again, it's pretty, uh, I don't know if that's the answer that McKelly's looking for, but that's the answer I'm going to give him. Fair enough. Uh, Mike? probably go with uh, uh, Jean uh, Girard from uh, Talladega Nights. Um, it's a suave Frenchman. Um, of course, I wouldn't, I have made no, I've made no bones about it. I would totally date Olivier Giroud. So this would be the next closest <laughs> thing. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody would, would, would bat an eye at that either. Um, and uh, successful. So yeah. Um, nothing wrong with that at all. Fair enough. Jack? Um, yeah, like the boys have said, not something you really want to answer, is it? <laughs> um, probably Nobby Butcher from Grimsby. Love that film. As a massive football hooligan in that. So it'll be a good one to take down the pub and uh, watch the Chelsea with. So I go through. Fair enough. Uh, 
just just for shits and giggles and the pure drama it would cause, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I won't uh, I won't do what we've said. I'll take Bruno. Um, it would be... <laughs> just 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 Somebody for the reaction. <laughs> I just want to see. I just want. I just want to see That's drama. Off. Uh, of the world, you know, and if, if, if the world burns, you know, you burn with me type thing. Um, right. That wraps up a fantastic episode of that Chess Podcast, perhaps slightly longer than usual, but when you've got top guests, you know, what can you expect? Uh, before we go, I'll get boys to find, to plug their socials on their podcast again. So Andrew, where can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah. Uh, again, um, carefree chorizo, um, C H O R I Z O, uh, Z O. Um, so yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure guys. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, every time this was, uh, this was a lot of fun and, um, fortunately on the, the tales of a win. So, uh, so thanks again. Yep. Uh, Travis, where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can find, you can find me at crossroads underscore CFC. And then you can also find me as the host of the balanced blues brothers podcast. And you can find me writing mostly analytical articles for the Chelsea social um, and I just want to say uh, thanks again for having me on. It was a lot of fun, and I, I you know, I appreciate the uh, the invite. Um, and thanks again. Hopefully, we get to do it sometime again in the future. Maybe I'll have you on our pod as well. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, everybody. Thanks. Yeah, it's been good fun. And finally, Mike, where can people follow you on? Yeah, uh, ATX CFC. I don't really post a whole lot. Um, typically, it's just to troll people that have takes that I don't agree with. Um, There's usually I try particular. to relegate myself just to our, yeah. Yeah. Our, our GC. Um, yeah. And, and uh, this is really nice to, to be able to put a, to see people's faces. Cause I, for the longest time had no idea that Travis was Caucasian. Um, <laughs> so this is good. <laughs> That's really good. People who, who don't get that Travis. <laughs> Used to have a tummy API on Twitter for anyone who doesn't get that. <laughs> oh, that well played. Oh um, <laughs> what a way to end, Mike. What a way to end. Um, Jack, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks, thanks for joining me, bud. Um, no problem, as, mate. Uh, as for us, you can follow us on Instagram at that Chelsea Pod, on Twitter at that Chelsea Pod, and we're on your usual podcast platform providers. And as always, everybody keep the blue flag flying high. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.